Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Advantage. I am your host, Michael Fiddle. Today is Friday, April 14th, and today's episode is the most important slate breakdown we've ever done. Now, I could be saying that because in the sports world, you always say the next play is the most important play, the next game is the most important game. So in sports betting, we can inherently say the next bet is the most important bet. And while I agree with that premise, that is not the reason why today is the most important slate breakdown we've ever done. I could be saying it because we are approaching the NBA playoffs, baby. We are going through game one lines for round one. It is my favorite type of high-stakes sports competition. So, of course, that could be the reason why today's episode is the most important slate breakdown we've ever done. It is not. If you've been listening to this podcast for the last few weeks and months, you have certainly heard a series of strategy episodes, whether that was Gambling Mailbag Episode 1, Parlay Math Explained, Six Types of Gamblers in the Sports Market, or Five Tips for NBA Playoff Betting. And then I look at my bets that I've submitted for these games. I'm reviewing my pending wagers. I'm putting them into my tracker. I'm getting ready to do my write-ups in the wager pass and on Twitter. And I'm just thinking, wow, this is the perfect culmination of so many things that we've been talking about. These are the principles in which I've been trying to hammer home are the basic ways to approach the sports market, to approach the sports betting world if you want to get into this space and try and be a consistently winning sports handicapper. Sometimes on those strategy episodes, I say, you may want to listen to this episode twice. This is the type of slate breakdown where you may want to listen to it twice because we are taking those principles from those strategy episodes and putting them into practice in real-world scenarios. We have live odds. We have live games. We have betting market trends that we could pin ourselves on. We are going to go through the basketball reasoning. We are going to go through the best bet reasoning. We are going to go through the line movement trends. We are going to be covering formulas. We are going to be covering systems. There is going to be so much that we have covered over the last few episodes, specifically the strategy ones, baked into how we are approaching the game one lines that it makes this episode so crucial if this is something that you're interested in in trying to get gain knowledge in doing. If you want to start approaching this like you would a blackjack table, like knowing what to do right when you see it in real time. Like if I'm at a blackjack table and I see two aces, your boy's splitting them. If I see two kings, I'm standing. If you now split two kings, let me know. I'm going to come shoot you because you're a parlay buffoon. So to recap, The reason why today's episode is so important is because this is how you build a motherfucking bankroll. Are you as excited as I am? Can you tell in my voice how excited I am? Are you ready to get started or what? Full slate breakdown starts, there's a teaser, right after I remind you guys to follow me on Twitter at mfiddle 14 To sign up for the Sports Ethos Wager Pass and Discord channel, we have a promotion going on. Promo code is absurd for 75% off your first month. I highly recommend using that. Of course, you'll be able to follow all of my stuff on there and on Twitter for the NBA playoffs. But if maybe you're a baseball fan, I don't do anything for the MLB, but we have some great MLB cappers in the Wager Pass. So if you want to get access to their stuff, take advantage of this promo code. Again, promo code is absurd 
for 75% off your first month. All right, that didn't take so long for the little promo stuff. Let's start off with the Chicago Bulls visiting the Miami Heat for the play-in for the eighth seed game. You normally would say winner go home, but I guess you call this loser go home, win and go to Milwaukee, where you will eventually go home after you play the Bucks. So this game opened as a minus 4.5 or minus 5, depending on the book for the Miami Heat. I jumped on it as a best bet at Miami Heat minus 5, and the live odds is Miami minus 5.5. So the first thing that I'm always trying to do as a line movement capper, we discussed this in the six different types of sports gamblers in the market, I, to my core, am a line movement capper. So I saw the line go from minus 4.5 to minus 5. I saw in the betting splits that big money was coming in on Miami. There was actually some public and more than 50% of the bet volume was on Chicago, but more than 50% of the money bet was on the Miami Heat. So for me, this was shaping up as a public versus sharp game. People loving what Chicago did in that second half against Toronto. People feeling really wary of how Miami got kind of beat up by Atlanta. They just looked like outclassed physically, um, which is surprising for a Miami team. They look a little defeated. So people were fading the Miami Heat But the smart people know that here's the situations that we are targeting from a basketball perspective. Home court advantage, heat. Rest advantage, heat. The heat game against Atlanta was Tuesday. The Chicago game against Toronto was Wednesday in Toronto. So the Bulls had to go from Chicago to Toronto for that game Wednesday, then had to travel back to Chicago, now go back to South Beach For the Friday game. Meanwhile, the Heat have just been home the whole time. So there's home court advantage, rest advantage, travel advantage. I would personally say talent advantage still slightly goes Miami. And of course, coaching advantage. If you listen to me and AV break down the coach ranks and we said these coaching advantages are going to matter when we get into these elimination type games, we get into playoff series. Number one coach in the East was Eric Spolstra. So coaching advantage also goes Miami. So for those reasons, I jumped on best bet, Miami Heat minus five. So I was reading the market. I was reading the splits. I was playing into the basketball angle. And my thought was, knowing that five is an important number, it is the second most common outcome for NBA games. It is also the most common outcome of a spread that pushes because we often get spreads of five. We don't always get spreads of seven, which is the most common outcome. Five is a more common spread, so you will get a higher volume of spreads that push on a five, where it actually lands on that five. So that's why getting the minus five for me was more important than getting the minus five and a half. And I expected it to keep moving out because it was relative to the key number and the betting splits that were coming in. So from a line movement perspective, I have gained CLV. CLV stands for closing line value. It is the difference between the bet that I have and the current odds in the market if I was going to bet in the same direction. So if I have Miami Heat and I'm taking them minus five, if I'm going to take Miami Heat minus five and a half, there is no world where someone who wins a Miami Heat minus five and a half ticket wins and the person who only has Miami Heat minus five loses. There could be a situation where if you land on this common push factor, the minus five guy would get their money back and the person with a minus five and a half would lose the bet. So getting in 
on that change is important, which shows that I have half a point of positive closing line value. If this game were to end and tip off right now at that five and a half, I currently have half a point of CLV. Everything I do is trying to obtain CLV. If I obtain CLV by the time I place the bet and between the and before the game tips off, then I have done my job in terms of a line movement capper and getting process and getting ahead of the market. Now, why is that? The results will play out how they play out. And simply put, I don't really care what happens. In a small sample size, it can go either way. Either team can win. I win about 56% of my bets. So I would say there's ish a 56% chance I'm going to win this bet. So, of course, that means a 44% chance I'm going to lose. That's still a big percent chance that I might lose this bet. But from a process perspective, here is why what I did was a good bet. I took the minus five when the odds were a minus 108. So normally you're paying minus 110, $110 to win 100. In this case, when I took the the odds on FanDuel, it was minus 108. And I always correlate these odds to implied probabilities. So when I'm calculating implied probabilities, the formula that I'm doing is the odds that I have, which is minus 108, divided by 100 more than that. So 208, which is the minus 108 plus 100, but make it an absolute value. So absolute value, the odds, and then add 100. So what you're really doing is 108 divided by 208. Anytime you're calculating the implied probability of a favorite, this could be minus 125. You would simply do 125 over 225. You could have a minus 470. You would do 470 divided by 570. You could have a minus 1450. You would do 1450 divided by 1550. Times that number by 100%, and you have the implied probability of the odds for your ticket. And remember, implied probability, people often think, newbies in the gambling market think, oh, that means the chance that this bet has to win. No. Implied probability is the hit rate, the the amount and the percent at which you would need to win those bets to maintain a break-even rate or be slightly profitable. So for a minus 108, if we do minus 108 or if we do 108 over 208, we are going to get 51.92%. So if I'm betting Miami minus 5 at minus 108 odds, I need to win that bet more than 51.92% of the time to be profitable. I hope you're still following me. Now what I'm going to do is go find my CLV ticket. I'm going to go find the ticket that I actually have. So I have Miami minus five at minus 108. The live odds are minus five and a half. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go find the alternate spread of minus five, the bet that I actually have, and ask myself, what are the live odds for that bet right now? The market has moved. The odds for my exact bet have changed. What I want to know is what are those odds and what is the implied probability of those odds? So if I go find with my half point of CLV, if I go find Miami minus five, you would see it right now, minus 125. 
So good thing I just used that example. We know how to calculate the implied probability of a minus 125. You simply do 125 over 225 times that by 100%, and you have 55.56%. So in real time, the implied probability of the exact bet that I have is 55.56. However, the implied probability on the price that I paid for that ticket is 51.92. I could take the difference between those two numbers and tell you that my expected value is a positive expected value of 3.64%. If I bet this line always, if I got myself into this situation with every bet that I made, I would be expected to bring home 3.64% of that wager back. That would be my growth rate on every single bet if this was the situation that I pigeonholed myself into. Now, of course, going back to real time, that's simply not possible. I'm either going to win this bet or I'm going to lose this bet. There's, not, there's no way I can win 3.6% of this bet. What I'm saying is if you take a massive sample size, if you take thousands of bets, that would be the overall cut rate that I would take home. That would be the average take home. And that's why I don't give a fuck about a one game sample size. I don't care if Chicago wins this game. I know what I did was right. This is why I say there's a right side and a wrong side. I know that if I keep doing this over and over and over again, which we are about to do together, then I am going to be a winning sports better, that I am going to build a bankroll. Shall we continue and take it over to Minnesota for the Wolves versus OKC game? Yeah? All right, let's do it. OKC is taking on, I think Rudy Gobert should be playing, and taking on the Minnesota Timberwolves. I actually jumped on a total here. So this spread is also five and a half. I don't have any plays on the spread. I saw some big money come in on Minnesota, so I actually lean that way, I lean towards this being a Wolves game. But this OKC team looks dangerous. They look like they're having a lot of fun. They have some great perimeter defenders to throw at um, Ant-Man. If they can just shoot well and run in with pace and space, then this could be trouble for Minnesota. So I was worried, but definitely the sharp side of this game is Minnesota if you're thinking about which side to jump in on. I got in on the total. So I saw the total open up at 227 and a half. In some places, 228 at others. And quickly, there was 229 and a half popping up on the board. I think FanDuel had it at 227, and points bet jacked it up to 239. Now, you might have heard me talk about this on previous podcasts. Definitely the interview that I did with Scott, where I appeared on the You Bet Smart podcast. If you haven't heard that episode, definitely go check that out. It's on my Twitter. I tweeted out the link. It's on YouTube see what I look like, if you don't know already. Um, I jumped in on the over 227.5 because points bet, which was sitting at 229.5, is a book that I heavily track for totals. I find there's serious sharp action that happens at points bet because they have high limits. People can bet a lot of money right from the jump at points bet in comparison to some of these other sites. So that's why these sharp groups 
go straight there and attack their totals, which is why when I'm sitting back and evaluating the movement in those totals, a book like that is like double star for me. Like that's the one that I care about probably the most. So when I saw it move from 228 or 227 and a half straight up to 229 and a half, I was like, I need to jump in on the opening line of 227 and a half and take the over. So that's exactly what I did. It was a market read. It was understanding the priors. I don't know if I've uh, talked about this on the podcast. I'm sure I have. But coming into this season, and I know we're at the end of the season, so if you're relying on preseason priors at this point, maybe I'm the idiot here. But this will just always have stuck with me. Going into this season, there was a like fun prop that you could do. Of course, I didn't bet it, but I looked at the odds. I'm always scanning the board. And it was the team that's projected to score the most points in the NBA. And it was Minnesota was legitimately like by far the favorite. And I was so confused. And of course, that has just not played out to be the case at all. Uh, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns being hurt for a large portion of the season was it. But I was, I mean, even bringing in Gobert and ruining the spacing. But the, the books were pricing in this Minnesota team to be such a run and gun group. And we know OKC plays small and plays fast and plays with space. So when I came into this from a matchup perspective, I was quick to like seeing this as an overplay and want to jump in on it myself because I know that the book reads these two teams as generally over teams. Now, I do expect Gobert to play. I said that earlier. Gobert, of course, is going to muck up the spacing for the Wolves uh, offensively. He's also going to hold down the paint defensively, so he's definitely an under-type player. Um, I think that was factored into the opening line. I think we knew that Gobert was playing. We have seen this line start to bounce a little bit. So it was up to 229 and a half. It's still there at some books, but most books have settled around 228 and a half or 228 right now. So I'm sitting on a 227 and a half. We'll go through the math in one second. Current market is around 228 and a half. So I have plus one CLV. So I am on the right side for this game, but considering it is a bouncing market right now, I wouldn't consider if you're coming in with a blank slate, betting this game because we do have sharp groups on both sides and we do likely have a line that's not going to move at all. So you don't know which side is the right side and you're probably not going to gain CLV because the line is pretty stationary at this point. So don't really know. Of course, I like my over 227 and a half for the reasons that I explained. And of course, because I have plus one CLV. Similarly, if I was on the under 229 and a half, I would like the bet because I would have plus one CLV being at 228 and a half. But now that the market's settled at 228 and a half, it's tough to get a read on and probably not worth investing now. But let's go through the math anyways, because again, you need to start doing these things as you approach the sports book. I always say there's math. I'm writing shit down when I'm placing a bet. I'm not just looking at the odds and saying, go bet. Of course, there's a certain point I can get to with that because this is becoming so innate for me. It's like that you know, blackjack situation where I'm getting my two aces and I know to just split right away. I don't need to check the strategy card because I know one plus one is two. I know five plus five is 10. So some of this stuff has become automatic for me, but the basic premise is this is the math steps that we go through. Try and find the line in which it's trending. Where's the opening line? Where is it now? What teams are playing? What's the betting splits? Read these indicators to formulate the story of what's happening in the market. So we have the overplay. We have the one point of CLV. 
we find the live odds for that line, if we go and find the over 227 in the alternate total market right now, you would see that line, same as the previous example, is a minus 125. And we know the minus 125 line correlates to a 55.56 implied probability. The over under, in this case, over 227 and a half that I took was a minus 110 line. So a little bit different than the minus 108 in the last example. A minus 110 line correlates to a 52.38% implied probability. 52.4 is the roundup number that you guys have certainly heard me say on this podcast 150,000 times. So the difference between those two numbers is 3.18%. That is my positive expected value on the bet. I have made a good bet on the Wolves OKC total. Do I care what happens? I mean, yeah, it, it sounds exaggerated to say I don't care what happens. Of course, I'd like to win every bet. I care in every situation whether I win or lose money. But in a long-term sample size, I have done the right thing. And if I do lose this bet, I'm not going to blame myself. I'm going to throw it into the 44% pile of bets that I normally lose. And I'm going to move on. And where am I moving on to? I'm moving on to Philadelphia for the first game of the actual NBA playoffs. The play-in tournament will officially be over. And it will be the Brooklyn Nets taken on the Philadelphia 76ers. This line opened 76ers minus 7.5. I jumped in on it right away. Philadelphia minus 7.5. Live line is minus 8.5. One point of CLV. Go find the live odds for the 7.5 in the market right now. Of course, we're going to have a bigger jump in the uh, 7.5 to 8.5 with one point of CLV than you would in the odds going from 227 to 228 in the last example. So why would that be the case? You have one point of CLV in both spots, but why would the move from 7.5 to 8.5 be more important in the odds than the move from 227.5 to 228.5? It's one easy answer. The chance that this game lands on 8 in the middle of those numbers versus the chance that this land, game lands on 228 in the middle of the numbers of the total is higher to be an eight-point game than it is 228. Spreads and the numbers of game spreads are more common outcomes than those of totals. So with odds moving and with numbers changing and with gaining CLV, it is better to gain CLV in spreads than it is totals. It means more. It holds more weight. Of course, totals markets said this before, more impacted by sharps because you have way less of a public presence betting unders in the OKC Minnesota game or betting overs, whatever. You have a bunch of people just slamming the sides, the money lines, the, you know, the prop market parlayed with a money line underdog, whatever it is. But understanding that the movement actually as a better is more important in a spread. So let's go back to this example. The previous one was a minus 125. This is a minus 130 because the number is more important. So you have to pay more for it if in the alt spread odds. Minus 130 correlates to a 56.52% implied probability. 
the minus 110 line that I had, again, 52.38% implied probability. I'm going to take the difference between those and see that I have a plus 4.14 positive expected value. Now, let's talk about key numbers. Something I often say, the four most common outcomes of NBA games are seven, five, six, and eight in that order. So with a, when a game moves from seven and a half to eight and a half, you are now on the wrong side of the four most important numbers in NBA spreads. So if you are going to jump in on this bet now, I really wouldn't do it from a sides perspective. It, it would make me nervous to take the 76ers minus eight and a half. Again, I do think there's a chance that this is an absolute blowout. I think this is, could easily be a 12-point, 14-point game. In my five tips for NBA playoff betting, we talked about how NBA playoff game, you expect them to be closer. They actually have a higher blowout rate than regular season games. The, the percentage of games in the NBA playoffs that end in a 10-point game or more is higher in the NBA playoffs than it is the regular season. The key numbers in the NBA playoffs may change a little bit because teams are going to foul a little bit extra late in games. So maybe the most important number gets pushed out to eight or nine instead of seven. So you could take all that with a grain of salt, but understand that seven, five, six, and eight are certainly the most important NBA numbers. And for that reason, if you were going to jump on the 8.5, you might find yourself getting hooked with the eight. That's understanding this from a key numbers perspective. What I also want to talk about this Nets 76ers game is timing of bets and escalators. So let's use the total in this game because that's something that I'm targeting. Normally what I do is I'm reading and playing into the way the market is moving, right? I like to say, just like the Miami Heat example, it went from minus four and a half to five. I understood the factors around it, the home court, the rest advantage, the travel situation, the talent, the coaching, and I jumped in on it saying, okay, the market's moving in the direction I expect it to, so I'm also going to follow that seam and jump in. There are times where I see where the market's moving, and I disagree, and I say, I'm going to find myself playing a contrarian angle here, and that is a perfect time to think about when you are going to time your bets, because when you place your bet makes a massive difference because these numbers are moving. Like I said, you might get the minus four and a half and win. You might get a minus five and a half and lose. And I might get the minus five and push if that game Miami Heat Chicago Bulls ends Heat minus five. Of course, I feel like I'm speaking it into existence right now for that game, which is tonight in a few hours. So let's talk about timing and being contrarian. This Nets 76ers total opened at 216 or 216 and a half, depending on the book. It has only moved down. It has gone 216, 215 and a half. I think there might even be 215s in the market right now. It is going tick to, oh, it is at 214 and a half right now on FanDuel. This has slowly moved down through each tick in one direction. There has been no bouncing. There has been not been a moment where it's ticked up to 217. There's not been a moment where it ticked down to 215, bounced up to 215 and a half, and then back down. No. This has gone in one direction the entire time. So if I'm feeling contrarian, I would ask, why would I bet it now? 
Why would I take a 214 right over? I'm thinking about taking the over. But why would I have done that? I liked the over when it was at 216 and a half. But I saw which direction it was going. And I said, okay, if that's the way that it's going to move, it's actually moving in the in favor of, of my thinking. It's giving me better odds if I simply wait. So right now, I'm waiting that line out to see, is it going to get to 213? Is it going to get to 214? Is it going to get to 213 and a half? How much further south is this Philadelphia Brooklyn line going to go for me to jump in and play the over? Now, the flip side of that is, okay, so if the timing is so important, when do you actually play the bet? If this continues to move south and only south, I would do it two minutes before tip. Hopefully, I'm getting a 212 and a half. It would even be nice if all the other games, tomorrow night's games, or tonight's games rather, go way under, and that throws the betting public to think these are all under spots. And maybe it ends at 212 and a half. Then I would do it two minutes before the game starts and hit the over. And I would have maximized my timing for playing a contrarian angle by waiting. The other option was if I see any movement back up. I always say the second movement is the most important movement. The last movement the, 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 the most recent movement is always the most important movement because as we get closer to a game that tips off, the betting limits go up, 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 up. So you might be able to bet $2,000 on a line in the first hour. By the time the line's been released for six hours, it might be 10000 By the time the line's released been for 12 hours, you might be able to bet 50000 So... For these reasons, we need to understand the line change that happens at the 12-hour mark is more important than the line change that happened at the two at the two-hour mark. Because the guy that comes into the two-hour mark was betting max 2,000. On the other end was someone who possibly just bet 50k. So get me with the guy who bet 50k. I want to be on 50k's side. So I always say you want to follow the money. You want to, you want to follow the sharks, the, sh the sharps in the market. These are the guys who are betting max limits. These are the guys who are waiting on certain numbers. They have models and algorithms to predict these outcomes of these games. They have various simulators. Their level of thinking is higher than mine. But by being a line movement capper, I can read the market and find where they are and join them in their angles. So that is the basic premise of what I'm doing. I'm trying to find them. I'm trying to read the market. I'm trying to gain CLV, so on and so forth. But back to this example, there are times you're going to want to be contrarian. So I'm either going to do it if the line does, if keeps moving in one direction, last possible movement. If the line ticks back up, if it goes, so it's at 214 and a half now, if I see it go to 215, I'm in immediately. The second the, the, the reverberation happens back in the contrarian direction that I want, that's the time to jump in. Because then you will start to see it going 215 and a half, 260. You will start to see it go back the other direction. So you might have just reached that, that bottom level. So if it's at 214 and a half and you see it move up to 215, you're probably never getting 214 and a half again. So now your chances are 215 or maybe it goes to 215 and a half or 216 and a half. Because again, the most recent movement matters, not only because it's the most important amount of money, you're also decreasing the amount of time 
that the line has to move any further. So now there's only six hours left. Now there's only two hours left until tip-off. So you're probably not going to get back the number that you wanted. You might continue to lose value. If the line jumps back in the direction of the contrarian angle that you want, you do it at the first breath of it happening. If I see any book, they're all at 214.5 now. The first one that I see move to 215, I find one that's at 214.5 and I jump in there. That is timing of bets. That is being contrarian. If I was going to, you know, think I'm playing into the market, I jump on it immediately. If I think I'm going to gain CLV, here I know I'm probably not going to gain CLV. I'm just playing my basketball take. And then further than that, one of the other tips that I had for NBA playoff betting was to find playoff escalators. And I said I love doing this with alternate totals. So, again, I think this is an over situation. I think the market is completely wrong pricing this at 214 and a half. I've targeted overs for both of these teams all season long. Philadelphia, you've heard me say it before. I like their overs because they get to the line relentlessly and Embiid and Harden are two of the most efficient elite free throw shooters there are. So they're going to be scoring when the clock is stopped. On the flip side of that, Brooklyn Seems like they don't want to play any defense the last two months. Like they literally, they have good defenders, but they have no interest in actually playing defense. And on the flip side of that, they have really underrated shooters. Steph Curry and Joe Harris are two of the best shooters in the NBA. So don't sleep on like guys like Dinwiddie being able to create and then kick out to elite level shooters. So I like this game as an overspot. And for that reason, there's various escalators that I would play. So maybe I'm completely right right now in saying that this is an overspot. Maybe it should be a, you know, 220 over under instead of a 215. Maybe it should be 223 and a half. Maybe we see a game go massively over and we have a huge market correction before the next game. In that regard, if I'm definitely right, I would like to be able to find ways to have small risk, high reward escalated bets to find ways to play into this angle that I love. So here are a few things that I'm considering. An alternate total over 229 and a half. I'm thinking about selling 15 points, moving the line from 214 and a half to 229 and a half. You could do that and get plus 370, nearly four to one. You could take the 76ers team total so I think they're projected to score like 110 or 111 points to 103. You can say 76ers team total over 122 and a half and take it for plus 460. So and the 76ers who get the ball and the, the clock stopped putting up points against a team that seemingly want, doesn't really want to play defense recently. Can they score 123? In my opinion, easily. If we can get plus 460 on that, it's very intriguing to me. And then the other one is the Nets team total over 110.5. If they're going to keep it relatively close, if this is going to start to be a run-and-gun game, if it's going to start to be a catch-up game, maybe they both score, that's plus 265. So there are so many angles to play escalator bets that I really like. I foresee myself just playing the over 229.5. That's my gut. I'm going to take that like nearly four to one value 
and sell about 15 points on the total. And knowing what I just said a few minutes ago, these total outcomes are less likely and they're more, uh, they have a higher level of variance than spreads. So selling 15 points in a total is not the same as taking a spread from minus five and making it minus 20. There's a much bigger difference, 15 points in a total versus 15 points in a spread. So an escalator bet, great way to do it is by playing alternate totals. Let's talk about Hawks Heat. Nope, we already had that one. Let's talk about Hawks Celtics game one. Line opens at Celtics minus eight, and I jumped in on it right away because it triggered a system bet. So let's go back to six types of sports gamblers in the market. I talked about system bettors. These are the people who have a series of rules, and anytime the indicators in the market are what's happening, whether it be travel schedules, spreads, uh, what happened in a previous game. You could say a, a home underdog coming off a loss against a road favorite with a spread between five, blah, 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 blah. You can create, go listen to that episode, you could create or latch onto a system of rules that when those things are met, this criteria it triggers a bet. So my favorite system ever is called first round favorites. The rules are very simple. You have to have a favorite in the first round. That favorite needs to be a one or a two seed. So for this, Celtics are a two seed. They are a favorite in this game. It is in the first round and the spread is anything between minus four and minus 25. So with a spread at minus eight, every single criteria is met for this bet to trigger a check. I am placing this bet Celtics minus eight, and I did it for a full unit. I talked about previous episode. That is my favorite system. I talked about it in five tips for NBA playoff betting. I talked about it in uh, six different types of sports bettors in the market. It has like a 61% hit rate going back to 2005. I have a 56% hit rate. So if I can latch on to a system that's been so historically dominant and it's the best part about systems is that you can backtrack them for years and years and years because these rules and these criteria are still going to be hit. There's going to be first round favorites every single year. So we can get multiple of these games to latch on and create, I think the record was 165 and like 101. So it was a huge like 61% hit rate, 18% ROI. I could look it up if I really wanted to. But this is an absolutely dominant system. It is a it is better at sports gambling than I am. You can see by the hit rates and the ROI. So for that reason, I will latch on and play into it. Uh, Celtics minus eight triggers a full unit bet. It is at Celtics minus nine now. So again, we're going to go back to the key numbers and explain that five, or rather seven, five, six, and eight are the most important numbers for NBA spreads because they are the four most common outcomes. So of course, the fact that this moved from minus eight to minus nine definitely does make a difference. However, it does still fit the criteria for a bet. And for that reason... I would still jump all over it. I am definitely okay with a Boston Celtics minus nine 
if that's where you have it now. If that's where it had opened for me, I would have still bet a full unit. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if this is a game two or the game five when we're back in uh, Boston, if, if, if need be. We're, at, we're looking at like a minus 13 and a half spread. I think the Hawks are about to get romped. So I know Brewski is on plus nine. He was my special guest on my last episode. I'm giving him the middle finger on this one. Give me Boston minus eight. First round favorites, market play, all of the above. Loving this Celtics angle. Should we go through the math on it too? Should we do it really quickly? If I have a minus eight, it moves to minus nine. I have one point of CLV. I go find the live alternate odds for that minus eight. If you go find Celtics minus eight in an alt spread, you would see it as a minus 135. A 135, you're doing 135 divided by 235, correlates, times it by 100%, correlates to a 57.45% implied probability. Of course, the minus 110 line that I have has a 52.38% implied probability. So if you find the difference, this bet has a positive expected value of 5.06%. Based on the line movement, it is also triggered in the FRS, FRF first round favorite system. So although it fits the line movement capping uh, discussion, it is really just a system bet on my end. I'm also on the under in that game, under 230 and a half. Opened at 230 and a half, slowly ticked down, got to like 229 or 228 and a half at some points. It's back up to 230 and a half pretty much everywhere. So I'll, I'll end up with a zero CLV. So this uh, will be just be a standard bet. I don't love being in bets with zero CLV, but I do like the fact that it ticked down. So if, if anything, the line movement hovered below and then back to where I was. It's not like it, it went up and then came back down. I'd rather have had positive CLV for the mass for the vast majority of the time that the ticket was em- over. If it's going to end at zero either way, that's the side that I'd rather be on. It's probably sound pretty confusing. But uh, don't recommend jumping on the under 230 and a half now because of the mixed m- messages in the market. But I don't mind that I'm on it for myself. I would jump in on the Celtics minus nine. Let's talk about Knicks Cavs. Opens minus six and a half. I mean, oh, whoa, opens minus six. Sorry about that. It's now at minus five and a half. This is the only bet that I'm on in the first round that actually has a negative expected value. And I was actually behind the market. I jumped in. So let me explain why I jumped in on this bet where I did. So I know the importance of the six. We've talked about the key numbers. I also know that Cavaliers-Knicks was the first series that we knew was locked in going to happen out of any of the eight playoff series that we're going to have in round one. So these odds for the series were posted 10 days ago, 12 days ago, even when these teams were playing their last few games of the regular season, despite them not mattering at all to the playoff matchup. None of the starters were playing, whatever. We didn't have game one prices, but we had series prices. And I saw Cavaliers open as a series price minus 185 and be pulled out to like minus 200 or, or, or more at some places. So the Cavaliers were gaining steam or getting reduced value. People were betting on the Cavaliers in the series price. So I thought the market would similarly react to that in the game price. So it opened at minus six, knowing the importance of the six, 
I jumped in on it. It's actually at a minus five and a half now. So I am half a point of negative CLV in this case. I have a live alternate odds. I have the minus 110. You could find the exact bet that I have at minus 105 right now, which correlates to a 51.21% implied probability. You find the difference between these two, and you would actually realize that I have a minus 1.17% expected value. Not good capping for me here. However, I personally don't mind it. I think this Cavaliers team has a dominant home court advantage. They are the number one defense in the NBA, and they have all of the tools. The advanced splits show that this is going to be a dangerous team in the playoffs, but beyond the, just the numbers, they have the tools. They have elite creation of guards who can create for themselves and others. They have guys who can hit really difficult shots. I mean, we've seen Donovan Mitchell do it time and time again. They have a switchable defense and elite rim protecting. Those are like check, 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 check of all the boxes of what you ask for a playoff NBA team. So although the market, again, going a little bit against me, it's half a point of negative CLV. It is relatively of a key number, so that does matter. I would have loved to be on the minus five and a half instead of the minus six. I know Brewski, again, giving me the middle finger on this one and taking the Knicks. I'm on the Cavaliers here. Again, it's a matchup and uh, advanced stats play for me. I am on the wrong side of the market. I do want to say that this sets up for a spot for an escalator play. Now, I am not going to be doing it myself, but anytime you're seeing steam on an underdog, one way to easily escalate that is a money line, right? If the, if the Knicks are going to cover a plus six or a plus five and a half, then what's the chances that they win the game just outright? And then you can get that at plus 190. Yeah? And then we also know that the total is moving from, I got it at it at 216. I'm on the under 216. So that's good. It's at 214 and a half now. So I have plus 1.5 points of CLV on the total. We know we correlate unders with underdogs. We definitely correlate this Knicks team with unders as well. Um, so if you're seeing the total also move down, that's a sign that this might shape up to be a Knicks spot. So you can find ways to uh, escalate play and Knicks angle if you'd like that. I'm not going to do it, obviously, because if you're going to escalate a Knicks angle while you're already sitting on Cavs minus six, I mean, that's the dumbest thing in the world. You're just opening up a reverse middle like a complete buffoon. So it's not a playable option for me. But if you're sitting on this with nothing, I think the smart things would either just be sit this one out or consider taking Knicks plus six you could still find in the market. Knicks plus 190. Maybe you could even find better than that. But then you could also consider taking like Knicks minus three and a half. Again, we know where Knicks minus four and a half. We know where these key numbers are. Seven, five, six, and eight. We know where these foul, you know, where the late game fouling pushes these numbers out to. Maybe you're selling nearly 10 points on a Knicks line and taking an escalated play like that and there and pegging them to take game one. So that would be a way to get an escalated bet. I will not be on it. Again, I'm on the under 216. So let's just do the math on that as well. I have 1.5 points of CLV. Is that 214 and a half now? So 216 minus 214 and a half, 1.5. The alternate line for that under 216 is minus 135. We've covered minus 135s 
just before this in the Hawks-Celtics game correlates to a 57.45% expected value. Subtract the 52.38%, which is a minus 110 line, and you're left with a positive expected value of 5.06%. Now, I'm looking at these two lines, and I have a plus 5% expected value on the total, which I have three quarters of a unit on, and I have a minus 1.17% expected value on a line that I have half a unit on. So my exposure is tilted towards the spot that I have CLV, and although I do have a negative expected value ticket in this game, if we were going to evaluate all of the bets that I have on this Knicks-Cavaliers game as a whole, I still hold positive expected value for that game that's happening Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Let's cover Golden State Warriors versus Sacramento Kings. We are having numbers on both sides of the zero here. We have DraftKings at minus one for Golden State. We have FanDuel at plus one. I jumped in on plus one at FanDuel. We have seen absolutely no movement in the lines at any book for this game. So DraftKings and FanDuel actually. So although I have the plus one, and there are minus ones in the market. There's still plus ones in the market on Golden State. So I have zero CLV there. So we don't need to go through the alternate line, calculating the implied probability, finding the difference of the two, and then knowing what your positive expected value or hopefully not negative expected value would be. For me, this is a um, Bob Volgaris <laughs> type play. I've talked about him on previous podcasts. I've talked about him in the Sports Ethos Wager Pass and Discord channel. Wasn't sure how I wanted to play this series. And then I saw this man who's very hidden with some of his gambling takes and, and thinking. But I know what I try and get gain as much insight from him. So I'm, I'm picking up on the small things that he's saying. And I saw him tweet that he thought there was no chance that the Kings take this series. And that, the, the, that these Sacramento Kings imitate the previous Golden State Warriors that had an amazing upset. Was that years ago when they beat the Spurs? What was the name of that Warriors team? The We Believe Warriors, yeah. So could this have been the We Believe Kings? And Volgaris commented, absolutely not. This Warriors team is just too special. So when I heard Volgaris chime in that he felt this Warriors team was just too special, I wanted to get in on the Warriors plus one. I also heard Draymond say... That on his podcast, not that I listened to it, but everyone gets the Draymond podcast in various clips, that their whole goal was to take away the, their, their faith early. That they wanted to come out in game one and steal it right away and make them feel like they couldn't win the series right away. That they know that they're young, the Kings young, and have an inexperienced playoff staff, uh, whereas this Golden State Warriors team, super experienced in the playoffs. Of course, Clay will remind you at every twist and turn that he's got four rings and hold up his fingers to you. Nice one, Clay. Um, yeah, this is, this is an experience thing for me. Of course, it is a road game for the Warriors, but it's like a 45-minute bus ride. Everyone's staying at home. This is a Subway series in San Francisco. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. The total's been bouncing a little bit. I think it opened at 237. It got up all the way to 239 and a half. It's now at 238. I would expect the over to be the right play. Uh, Sacramento Kings just play so fast. Uh, the Warriors are going to dissect anyone. They're going to crush. You heard Bruce say it on the last podcast. They're going to crush this King in the these, these Kings team in the pick and roll with Curry on Sabonis. 
bringing Sabonis out, trying to beat him with a backdoor cutter, or shooting over him and drop coverage. It should result in a lot of scoring. So maybe the safest bet for this game is the over 238. I certainly don't mind the plus one that's still available on FanDuel. That is my only bet on this game, and I'm only in it for half a unit. So it is a small play. It is an experienced play, and it is fading the uh, Kings in their first big playoff game. I, I expect this Warriors to just take over the second half. If this is close, if the Warriors aren't winning at halftime, this sets up for a very nice live halftime Warriors money line type play. Although I would think the sports books are probably all over that and going to give you terrible value until the last possible second. The Lakers are taking on the Memphis Grizzlies. And this is a one that I really, 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 really wanted to talk about. Not only am I the biggest LeBron fan, betting on Memphis. I think this is like the first time I've ever bet on against LeBron in the playoffs. But even though my dog is named LeBron, I am loyal to my bankroll when it comes to the gambling. And I'm going to do the right things that I think correlate to that. So we saw this game open at a minus two and a half, quickly tick to minus three. I jumped in on Memphis minus three. It is now minus three and a half across the board. Uh, I definitely love Memphis in this spot. Love it from a matchup uh, perspective. Love it from a home court perspective. Love it from a pace perspective. Uh, love it from a rest advantage perspective, from a travel perspective, from so many situations. And we know this Grizzlies team comes out fighting. And we know if we've learned anything through LeBron's 10-year in the NBA or 20-year in the NBA, LOL, um, just create a new word, uh, you would know that LeBron eases into series. LeBron is the smartest man on the court at all times, and he's constantly evaluating, and he is the king of adjustments. So he's, he's King James, but he's also the king of adjustments, and he's going to read and react to the course of the series. And generally, that means LeBron takes a little bit of a backseat early in playoff series. So that's going to lead into me loving the Grizzlies from a, from a best bet perspective, jumping in on them minus three. And then there's a series of other bets that I also jumped in on that I'm going to explain in a second. But I want to point out, we have a two seed here. They're playing against a seven seed. This is the first round. They are the favorite. However, the spread is not between minus four and minus 25. So this Lakers-Grizzlies game actually does not fit the bill for a first round favorites game. Now, by the time you listen to this podcast, you may go look at the live odds and you might see minus four. So if the line had moved from minus 2.5 all the way out to minus four, as soon as it hit the minus four, it would have triggered the bet. Conversely, if it was at minus four and then moved the other direction, if the Lakers were getting steam, say it opened at four and a half and the Lakers were getting steam and it moved it to three and a half, it would have originally triggered a bet. So if you had, you know, checked your your whatever tracking system you're using to to give you the updates and say, you know, this bet is triggered, it's reached the criteria. Maybe you're just doing it all by hand, like myself. <laughs> and uh, so so you'll you'll see that okay, at minus four it was it was triggered and now it's no longer. So at that point it would just be like maybe you got it in at minus four, maybe you didn't. It would just matter of did you see it and place the bet while it was still being triggered? Of course, if it moved from minus four to minus 2.5, you wouldn't have wanted to place it at minus four. You may still want to go contrarian and place it at minus 2.5, but you wouldn't be citing the first round favorites. 
I do think this game gets pushed out to minus four. I do think this game does trigger a first-round favorite system bet. I don't mind getting in on it now. I what I this is what I'm not advising. Let's make this clear. I'm not advising jumping in on this game at 3.5 because I think it will eventually trigger the system. That's not what I'm doing. I don't cheat the rules. I, if it's going to be a system bet, I will wait until it gets to the four. You could think, oh, but if I get it at 3.5, I'm predicting the value. You could do it from a line movement perspective, but not from a system perspective. Of course, it's all one and the same, right? Because we're still taking the bets. It's still the same bankroll, which is why on that six types of sports bettors in the gambling market, we talked about these things as a Venn diagram, how they have overlapping times. So, well, this is a time in which the line movement and the system might overlap into a play. Um, so right now it is not a play. I think it will be a play. I would advise jumping in on the 3.5, not because I think about it as a system play, but because I like it as a line movement and matchup play. But then I also want to talk about one other thing. Let's go back to the idea that I talked about Memphis being dominant at home, the Lakers being a team that eases into series, and the Lakers coming off travel and rest disadvantage and things like that. Now let's add in one other caveat. If you look at, if you look at um, substitution patterns for these teams, the Grizzlies basically play their starters the entire first quarter or take them out at like the one-minute mark of the first quarter. LeBron consistently checks out at the four-minute mark in the first quarter. So there should be a three-minute window in this game where we get Grizzlies starters without LeBron on the court. We want to take advantage of that. And let's go back to Bob Volgaris. He is the best NBA better of all time. And what his bread and butter was, was first-quarter betting by targeting substitution patterns. So call this a fucking vulgaris bet, which will make me feel so good about myself if it hits. But I absolutely love Memphis Grizzlies minus one in the first quarter. I think you are going to have a substitution pattern and going to get a Lakers team that is trying to ease into the series and getting a Memphis team that comes out so explosive in the first quarter. They're always one of the top five first quarter scoring teams the last few years. Let's put that into action and take Grizzlies minus one in the first quarter. I did that for half a unit. I'm on the minus three for three quarters of a unit. And then I also decided to put quarters of a unit on the minus 0.5 spreads for the second, third, and fourth quarter. So I have Grizzlies first quarter minus one. Grizzlies second quarter minus half a point. Grizzlies third quarter minus half a point. Grizzlies fourth quarter minus half a point. If you add up all of those individual spreads that I have, what I'm actually doing by taking it quarter by quarter is giving myself a net total of a minus 2.5 spread, right? One plus 0 0.5, 0 0.5, 0.5 is a net total of 2.5. The live odds for the game is 3.5. So I'm actually gaining a point of value by playing it from a quarter-by-quarter -quarter perspective. Of course, I'm not stupid, guys. I know there's a chance that Memphis wins one quarter by 20 points and loses the three other quarters. And even though they cover the three and a half, I end up 
losing the losing three out of the four of these bets. However, that's an unrealistic situation. I'm actually decreasing my variance by splitting these bets into smaller quarters. And if I could actually get less of a total spread, then I think it's a really wise thing to do. If you could look at the Atlanta versus uh, Boston spread and you want to add up all the quarters, you'd get, you see it's uh, Boston. We're playing Boston at minus eight. The live line is Boston minus nine. Add up all the quarters. You'll get Boston minus nine and a half. There's very, very, very few to no situations where you're going to get the favorite having less points in the totals. This is a discrepancy in the DraftKings Sportsbook. And that's something I'm taking advantage of. Again, first quarter, one point, half a unit. Second, third, and fourth quarter, all quarter units at minus 0.5 points, essentially a money line bet. The last game that we currently have odds for is Clippers at the Suns. I jumped in on Clippers plus eight. It is now Clippers plus seven. You be the judge if you want to jump in on it, having missed the key number, if you didn't get it already. Of course, you should be following my Twitter because I put all of these bets on Twitter right when I took them. Let's go through the math for this game. I got plus eight. Live line is plus seven. My CLV is plus one point. I could find a live alternate spread where I'm going to find the plus eight and say, okay, what are the current odds of the exact bet that I have in the market right now? The current odds of those bet is minus 135. Now the third time on this podcast we've said it, minus 135 correlates to a 57.45% implied probability. I subtract my 52.38% from my minus 110 odds that I put it in with, and I have a positive expected value of 5.06%. Now I jumped in on that plus eight. I was on the phone with Gibby at the time. We talked about Coaching advantage of T. Lou over Monty. Again, coaching advantages comes up big in the playoff series. We talked about depth. We talked about the newness of the Suns team and the fact that T. Lou will have good ways to throw random looks at a team that hasn't had time to congeal. So while I think Booker and Durant are probably the most deadly one-two in the NBA, maybe we could argue LeBron to AD, but the Phoenix Suns, Probably the most dangerous team entering the playoffs in terms of their ceiling. Uh, but Coach Lou will have some some tricks up his sleeve to throw out this team. We also see the total moving down. So it's opened at 227.5. It's now at 226.5. So we know the correlation of underdogs and uh, under spots. So the total's moving under. You like to correlate that with the under. And then, of course, knowing that we had the plus eight and what the key numbers were, if that line were to move to 8.5 or to 9, it wouldn't be as bad as on like the losing of CLV because numbers aren't that important on that side. So being on the wrong side of the Knicks Cavaliers, where it's 5.5 versus 6, way more important than being on the wrong side of 8 versus 8.5. So I jumped in on the 8, key number, coaching situation, depth situation, correlation to the under, gained CLV, walking into this game with 5.06% positive expected value. Don't care what happens because I did my job. Now, this again makes for a really nice escalator play. You might want to say, 
Clippers steal game one. I mean, I actually don't think it's that outlandish to say the Clippers could steal game one. Uh, that's a plus 240. You want to take Clippers to like a minus 3.5 or minus 4.5, you could probably get, I haven't checked the odds, you could probably get nearly four to one on that. So these are really nice ways to, you're still playing straight bets. You're not playing a parlay and reducing value and gaining a multiplier to get up to four to one, even though there's way more outcome possibilities. Here you're just moving a line in the direction where you already have steam, where you already have information that that's the right side, and then you're playing into that to a further degree. So if it's going to come true already, then there's an increased chance that this comes true too. Like the the if the Clippers cover the plus eight, then there's a good chance that you know they might even cover a minus three and a half escalated spread. So in the playoffs, we want to find ways to play escalated bets. That is certainly one. Going back to the Lakers uh, Grizzlies game, I actually think that that's a great way to play escalated bets as well. If you want to take the Grizzlies out to like a minus six and a half, minus nine and a half, call me crazy. I wouldn't be surprised if the Grizzlies won by 15 or more. Like, would I, you wouldn't be, find me crazy to say, take the Grizzlies minus 13 or minus 14 and a half. You could do it with the Kings Warriors game, whichever side you think. So say you think it's going to be a Kings game, find the book that has Kings plus one, and then flip it around and take Kings minus five. Kings minus, again, I personally think minus three and a half or minus four and a half are the best bang for your buck because you still get really important numbers to the north of you. But yeah, you can you can pick this for yourself. If you do think this is going to be a Warriors game, then hop on FanDuel where it's Warriors plus one and grab Warriors minus seven. You know, maybe they handle the Kings in game one. So these are ways to play escalator bets. And now the last thing that we need to talk about is we have bets. We already have best bets for series that we don't even know that are happening. Now, I don't know if it's going to be Miami or Chicago. I think it's going to be Miami against Milwaukee. But I do know there, that spread is going to be Bucks as the favorite in the first round by more than four points. And by less than 25. So I'm telling you right now, I will definitely be betting bucks against the spread as soon as the line drops for a full unit because it will trigger a bet. I will be doing the exact same thing for whoever the Nuggets play, whether the Nuggets end up playing the Minnesota Timberwolves or whether the Nuggets end up playing the Oklahoma City Thunder. That spread is going to be Nuggets as a favorite. They're going to be a one or a two seed. They're the one seed. It is going to be in the first round, and it is going to be between minus four and minus 25. You can guarantee it. So as soon as that line drops, it will trigger a system bet for me. And for that reason, I am telling you right now, I am on the Bucks and I am on Denver against the spread. Both of them, full unit, right when the line drops is my plan. Now, if you do think that, like, there's a contrarian angle and that you think that the uh, the line might move against the Bucks or against Denver, then you can wait. I'm of the mindset that as soon as that line drops, it's going to be pushed out to f- further for the favorite. It's going to open at Bucks minus nine and close at Bucks minus 11. It's going to open at the Denver's playing OKC. I wouldn't be surprised if the spread opened at 12 and a half. So like, I don't know. 
at that point, would I would I jump in on it right away or would I hope it comes down to 12 or 11 and a half? Who knows? Maybe if it got pushed out to 14 and a half, would I still take it? Yes, because it triggers a system bet. So we now have best bets for every single game for game one. We are about to start the NBA playoffs in a few hours, and we just put to use so much of the information that we've been working on the last few weeks. We are putting it into practice. We just did line movement capping, explaining what CLV is, calculating implied probability, correlating the difference between those numbers, and finding your positive or negative expected value. We talked about indicators. Where's the money coming in? Where's the volume coming in? What are the key numbers? What's the difference between five and four versus eight and nine? What are escalator bets? What are the best situations on the board right now to potentially play into some of those escalator bets? Again, are we going to do that with the Brooklyn Nets total? We also talked about timing of the bets. We talked about systems, right? We have the first round favorite systems. We have the most important things that happen in NBA playoff basketball with the Cavaliers. We're targeting interior defense. We're targeting rim protection. We're targeting guys who can create their own shots for them and others. We are seeing what's happening on the court. We're going to the Sacramento Kings Warriors game. We're leaning on other experts in the market like Volgaris. I know that he's way better than me. I know what kind of mindset he's thinking. I can play into it and play the experience angle. I could go to the Lakers, Grizzlies and say, is this a system play or not? Where's the market moving? Maybe this eventually triggers a system. Noticing a slight discrepancy in the quarter odds, playing into substitution patterns. There was so much that we covered in today's episode, which made it a perfect reason why you should pause this episode now, make sure your taxes are done for April 15th, and then start this bad boy over and listen to it twice. Now, I think I will be back on Monday for some game twos. We have now covered every single game one. Of course, we don't know who those series are, but we even have best bets for them already. So I think I will be back on Monday again. Please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Please send it to a friend. Hit me up on Twitter at mfiddle14. Let me know what you thought about it. Let me know what you learned. Let me know if you thought this one was as good as I did. And if you're as excited as I am to crush the books and make some money during this NBA playoffs, my voice just cracked. And as always, peace out.